0: Hello, hello. Welcome to session 140 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're doing wonderfully well. My guest today is Maureen Warbach. Maureen, if you guys, if you're on Facebook, you may have noticed Maureen or you may have seen Maureen. Uh, She's quite active in the STC community. She is also the owner of a group practice up in Chicago, which, uh, as of this recording, has around 20 clinicians, well, a combination of clinicians and staff working for her. She's also the owner of the Group Practice Exchange, where she supports clinicians who want to grow and build their own private practices. And to be honest, I've wanted Maureen on the podcast for a long time. And uh, I think just because of schedule and Honestly, it's totally my fault. I just didn't get a chance to reach out to her because I knew that she was going to be a wealth of knowledge. And today we're talking all about managing staff as a group practice owner. And I know that many of you guys are maybe in solo practices and one of your ultimate dreams is actually to have a group practice. And Maureen is here to just share a lot of wisdom and a lot of insights, and I I can't wait to share this with you guys. So we'll get right to it. There's a couple of things that we're going to be discussing. One of the things is a lot of internal shifts. You know, I feel like there's a, a shift that has to happen both internally and externally when we go from being a solo business owner to actually having others that are working for us. How did Maureen make that shift? And how did Maureen know when she was ready to start hiring staff? And what did that process look like? And there's just some very subtle nuances that, that Maureen picked up on that I can't wait to share with you guys uh, in terms of some of the things that, that she has talked about. And then we wrap up with a couple of really cool like tools and things like that that Maureen and her staff use on a day-to-day basis in order to communicate and keep things very efficient in terms of communication. So here is my conversation with Maureen Werbach from thegrouppracticeexchange.com. Hi, Maureen. Welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hi, Melvin. It's so good to be here.
0: I wanted to like publicly apologize before anything because I feel like man I have thought for a long time I was like Mari I need to have Maureen on the podcast and it's taken me way too long but I'm so grateful you said yes and looking forward to our conversation
1: so am I I'm totally excited this is a good topic
0: You are extremely busy. You own a group practice. You have a a website where you help clinicians called the Group Practice Exchange. We're talking all about this aspect of managing staff, especially as our practices grow. And I wanted to kind of start general. And this is something that I have noticed with, with STC. One of the hardest transitions for me has been making this mental shift from being solo to being more of a CEO, especially as I've had to hire folks from like a VA to a podcast editor to someone that helps my website and all of these things. And I wanted to just start there. Like, what was it like for you?
1: It's definitely been a work in progress, as many others probably can relate. My natural inclination isn't to manage staff. And so it's something that I've really had to grow into. I started with this assumption that I could hire therapists, and as long as they are good therapists, that I wouldn't really have to manage them. Mm. I thought I could tell them the policies and procedures of my practice, and it all essentially would work itself out. It was a pretty naive way of thinking, (laughs) but it took me a couple of years for me to feel like I really grew into my CEO position. Mm. I had to grow a little bit of a tougher shell, learn how to make decisions that weren't only for the betterment of the business, but the clinicians to learn how to be able to say no, how to delegate, how to not be such a people pleaser, which is still a work in progress. So it definitely was something for me that wasn't natural and, you know, where I automatically kind of was in that position. It did take me a couple of years of having clinicians for me to kind of figure out what my style is like as a business owner and as a CEO and you know, how I really wanted to present myself with my clinicians and with, you know, the other people that help my business, you know, kind of function.
0: I love what you're saying, because I think this is true for a lot of clinicians in that the being a CEO does not come naturally. And I think for many of us, I think if we are honest, like I think there are parts of us that are people pleasers, and we're, you know, generally may not be as confrontational, all of those things. And I think the biggest thing I'm hearing from the way you speak, talk about it is, all of us may have certain expectations of what this may look like as we start to hire clinicians. But I guess holding those expectations loosely, instead of just assuming like things are going to be amazing.
1: Yes, yeah. Because it isn't just about having good therapists or therapists that can, you know, do good counseling. Mm -hmm. There's just so much more to it. For me, I really didn't grasp that until I was probably five or so clinicians in five or six clinicians in because isn't super hard at least it wasn't for me when I hired my first therapist because one I started off with independent contractors so it was a little bit easier for me to justify well they gotta you know be in charge of themselves, anyways. But I feel like when it comes to being a group practice owner, at least, it's the larger that you get, the more clinicians that you hire, the more of a need there is to have systems in place that things are streamlined. And then that's where the managing of staff part comes in because it's not the majority of the time I notice that I'm not ma- having to quote unquote manage staff because they aren't working with their clients in the right way. It usually more often than not has to do with following through with procedures, making sure they're charging that no-show fee, or you know, doing their notes on time, which are all the things that you assume are, you know, you say it once and it'll, it'll be done and followed through with, but that tends not to be the case. And that's usually the thing that you have to learn to grow into in terms of being able to, you know, hold firm on your boundaries as a group practice owner. So yeah, that definitely was something that took me a couple of years. And I think the more clinicians that you have, the more opportunities you have for being challenged in that way.
0: You said there was like the first couple of hires, they were independent contractors, they didn't feel as big, but it was really that fourth or fifth sort of hire that you noticed like, I guess, what do you think looking back, what are some assumptions that you made in those initial like maybe first two hires that then, you know, by the fourth or fifth one, you were like, man, I got to like sort of reframe this and look at it differently.
1: I think my biggest one was that I didn't need to have so many systems or in my head at the time, it was like all these rules in place Mm. and that I really wanted each clinician to feel like they had the ability to decide whether or not they wanted to charge a no-show fee. For me personally, it wasn't about the money. So I didn't ever feel like I want you to charge that no-show fee. I'm using that as an example Mm. because, you know, it brings in revenue for me. I thought, like, I really want you to be able to choose if that fits your kind of way of wanting to be a clinician? Does it suit your personality? Does it suit your style of being a therapist to charge no show fees or to give, you know, one or two freebies or whatnot? And so in the beginning, I think my, you know, biggest mistake was assuming that I can really put everything in the hands of the clinicians in terms of deciding how they want to do everything from seeing clients to how fast they want to do their notes to, you know, whether or not they're going to charge that no show fee. And it wasn't until I had handful of therapists, you know, around five that I realized it is so messy to have (laughs) everyone deciding, you know, willy nilly how they want to do things. Sometimes, you know, I had some clinicians that were held their boundaries really well and charged those no show fees right from the first no show because they would have that conversation at the intake appointment or that initial appointment saying this is the policy where I had other clinicians who maybe didn't talk about that, you know, the policies and stuff. To their clients at that first appointment. So they give one or two away. And it wasn't until later that with my biller and, you know, between me and my biller and my clinicians, I was like, so wait, is she charging the no show fee or not? And then the other one was, and the other one wasn't. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, I just, although I want everyone truly, and it's still, I'm still this way now, I really truly want everyone to have as much autonomy as possible there are certain things that have to be streamlined and be consistent and the same across the practice.
0: such a great way of looking at it. So I guess I would imagine this depends on the practice, depends on the size and all of these things. But in general, like what have you noticed are things that you can give some autonomy to clinicians to make a decision on versus like things that are probably better that you streamline?
1: Well, my first and kind of biggest thing is I completely want clinicians to see the clients that they want to see. And so I know that in consulting with practices and also kind of how I was in the beginning, when you first hire your first one or two therapists, your main thought is to just fill them up because you want them to not leave. You want them to feel the value in staying at your practice. And there's this pressure that we put on ourselves and maybe that our clinicians might put on us to fill them up. And so One of the first things that I think is important is that clinicians really have the choice to see the clients that they want to see that are within their niche area that make them feel good and not to just give them whatever referrals are coming in because you want to fill them up. You know, and I know in the beginning, that's kind of what I did. I would have couples come and I would say, okay, Jill has this opening, even though Jill didn't necessarily like to work with couples, but she also would say, you know, I, I want to fill up. Yeah, I'll, I'll take them. And it wasn't until a little bit later, you know, with I think maybe two to three clinicians in that I was like, although you guys are agreeing to seeing whatever, I don't think that that's one benefiting the clients, but two I don't see that you will long-term be happy about this. So my number one thing is making sure that my clinicians are making actual decisions about the clients that they want to see and the clients that that they don't want to see. And then that my intake person follows through with that. And so they're 100% in charge. If someone does not want couples, they're not getting couples. If someone does not want to work with kids, they don't get kids. If someone doesn't want to work with adults, they're not getting adults. Mm -hmm. They work with the population that is within their specialty, within their niche areas. And that's it.
0: I imagine, I don't know, I think this may have been true, but like, so when you're first starting out, right, like Mm -hmm. as you had those first couple of hires, I imagine there's this pull of, oh my gosh, I got to fill this new hire's like caseload, right? Absolutely. So I guess looking back, do you think it was that sort of like, I guess, I don't know, fear is the right word, but like- Do you think that's what it was? Absolutely. There's a fear
1: of failure. You know, you don't know if you're going to if the decision you made to hire that first person Mm -hmm. is a good decision, if you're going to be able to be a good leader, if you're going to even be able to have enough clients walking in the door. And so definitely for me, it was there was an underlying fear that the clinician would eventually say, you know, I'm not getting enough clients. I need Mm -hmm. to look elsewhere or that clients weren't coming in the door and I would have to tell her, I guess I made a bad decision. I can't seem to get more referrals, you know? So I know that's, for many people, in the beginning, fear is kind of an underlying emotion Mm. with your first couple of hires until you get this into the swing of it.
0: Uh, Well, it sounds like, I I think what you're saying is, uh, realize that fear is really normal. And I don't know if this is true, but like, as much as possible, try to like hold that fear and really talk with those clinicians, see what their ideal clients are, because it's not just about giving them that first client or first couple of clients. It's ultimately about their happiness, right? And if they're happy, then the entire practice sort of functions in a healthy way.
1: Yeah, I always like to say, you know, joking, but not joking that I care more about the clinicians than I do the clients, because Mm -hmm. I feel like if my clinicians are happy, then they're going to be doing the work that needs to be done to help their clients the most. So, you know, I know in the sales world, it's always focused on consumer. Mm -hmm. And for me, I kind of look at it in the other way. And I'm my focus really is completely on making sure that the clinicians have the tools that they need, the resources they need, that they're feeling valued, that they have my attention when they need it. Because I think when that happens, they're motivated to go to trainings to be their best selves to do their best work
0: and i think what you're saying is a lot of i think making this transition from individual to sort of a ceo role is seeing the immediate situation in the present moment but also recognizing sort of like if i make this decision now here are some of the things that could happen in the future right like with the trainings and stuff like that so if you're giving them ideal clients and they're motivated all these different aspects
1: yeah it's definitely looking past just the immediate situation, more about the longevity.
0: I wanted to shift a little bit. And and before we talk about managing staff, let's talk a little bit about hiring. I broke these questions into like two aspects. So like sort of the internal pull and the external thing, right? Yeah. So for you, like internally, how did you know that you were ready to hire that first clinician?
1: So I'm a semi-risk taker and... In some ways, when I think too much about something, I can talk myself out of it. So for me, I can't go too deep. Otherwise, I will talk myself out of it. So what I did was I thought about my business plan, which I know most people don't do. And I did not, admitting, I did not do a full business plan at this time. I didn't do it until a year or so later. But I did kind of a mini business plan. And I thought about you know what I really wanted. And when I realized that I wanted some colleagues I literally just started taking the steps to figuring out how to get there. So in a mental sense, it was me thinking about, you know, what do I see for my future in a year from now, in a couple of years from now? And it wasn't me being by myself. It was me having a couple of colleagues. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. it's grown beyond that. And business plans can shift and change and grow and morph. But um, at the time, I my vision was I did not see myself being by myself. So I just kind of dove in. I was also a little bit younger when I started. So I think that makes taking risks a little bit easier because <laughs> I think as I get older now, everything seems a little bit more scary. You know, these changes that I make. When I was first starting off, I was like, oh, you know, what can really happen? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So for me, it was looking, you know, trying to put together a mini sort of business plan and see is it what is my next step in professionally? And everything pointed to having some colleagues. So I really just, you know, laser focused in that direction. And and that's what I did. Hmm. So that was kind of the mental process.
0: Yeah, no, I I feel like we hear terms like business plans. And we're like, you know, especially for most helpers or healers are like, no, I'm not going down that path. Right. But (laughs) I like it because it gives some like objective clarity, right? Like it takes in some ways, I, I think it takes the emotions a little bit out of the hiring process, right? So for you, the vision was you realized you didn't want to be isolated. You wanted to work with other clinicians, right? So what's that next logical step I need to do to make that happen?
1: Right, right. exactly.
0: And I wanted to handle that second part of that question. So externally, how did you know, like what was going on in the practice to know that, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to, to make that hire?
1: So for me personally, I, I had one one of my kids when I first started. Mm. So I knew that I didn't want to see more than 15 clients and um, I had my own space. So I saw my 15 clients. I don't remember if it was between two days or three days, I think three days. Mm. But I had a lot of open space. And so for me, I knew externally, that it was a a good time when my own caseload was full and referrals were still coming in. And I had my existing space. So in terms of risk, it was pretty low because I you know had my own space and four-ish days of the week, it was empty. Hmm. So I thought, I mean, what risk could there be in finding someone who could work potentially the days that I'm not in and, and see how it works? So that was kind of my how I knew on the outside that I was ready was that I was full. There were still some referrals coming in that I could potentially give to someone else. And I had the space.
0: And so when that first space, was it like, was it just a single office, or Did you have multiple, like what was that first office?
1: Well, when I kind of made a couple of jumps, when I, hmm first started I rented month by month in a chiropractor's office hmm. or an acupuncturist sorry not a chiropractor an acupuncturist's office so for the first six months I rented a space in there and then I got my own it was a storefront which I would never do again because people just walk in <laughs> from the from the street
0: yeah like but hey there's storefront. Maureen <laughs> so go in yeah like
1: Yeah, I had because I work in my neighborhood. So, I, you know, my friends would pass by, but also just strangers being like, what is this urban wellness? And then, you know, just walking in. So I had a storefront. It was the waiting room was the front end. And then the back had an office. So I had um, maybe one month into moving into that space. I decided to hire someone. So, yeah, I had my own space.
0: Well, the name is awesome. You know, it's like Curiosity Peaks and everything, like urban wellness
1: yeah, yeah. What is this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wanted to sh- ask you, like, in general, as you think about hiring, how do you know, like, you're ready to hire? I mean, and I guess we should even take a step back. How many clinicians do you have in your practice now?
1: I think it's a- around twenty right now. Okay. Between my therapists and um, my nurse practitioner.
0: Nice. So, in general, so you've done this, you've done this multiple times. What's like? How do you know when you're ready to m- hire?
1: I think in some ways you can always talk yourself out of it and say you're not ready. I think of it also like with having kids, you know, there's never a time that a person will 100% be like, I am one, you know, absolutely ready. This is the exact (laughs) time. There's always, I feel like something else that you could be doing, or at least for me that felt that way. So I really took the emotion out of it after I did my mini business plan and was like, I am full. And I will either be stagnating right here or I will hire this next therapist. So that was my literal brain kind of talking. And that's how I made my next step. And I learned along the way with hiring you know, more people about whether to hire one person at a time or multiple people at a time. But in the beginning, I hired my one person first. And from then, it got a little bit easier to know the kind of therapists that I wanted to have, what the community was needing and all of
0: that. So you started off hiring with like one hire at a time, and I guess yes. as you've sort of gotten used to it and learned things, like even like the thought of hiring, and I didn't even think of that like until you said that. Like when there is the opportunity, or when you're considering hiring multiple people at one time, I guess what does that decision sort of look like? Is it based on the referrals coming in, or need, or what's that like? I guess take us inside your brain.
1: Yeah. So I guess it could be multiple things. Hired when I hired one, and then one and then three at once and so when I did the three it was because I realized that the time it takes when you go through the hiring process to find that one one it can take a while it's um if you talk to other group practice owners a common struggle is either that they don't get a lot of applications or they get a million applications but when they're meeting with them and interviewing them No one seems to be a good fit for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so just the hiring process in and of itself can take a while. But then going past that, from the point that you say, I'd like to hire you, and they say, great, I'd like to work here, it often takes, if you're taking insurance, it'll take about four months for them to get a network, Mm -hmm. which is all wasted time. And if you're full fee and not taking insurance, it still is, you know, clients are not going to shell out you know 150 whatever dollars if that person hasn't put themselves out there. And so even for full fee, they're still waiting a long time to be able to get you know market themselves, get their reputation out there for people to have that trust in them and be willing to you know pay whatever. So, either way, I feel like it's the beginnings of hiring someone are always longer than you anticipate. And so doing it one person at a time, not that I'm telling with whatever I'm about to say, I'm not saying that you should then hire always three people at a time, mm. but at least with the first time around, I think you should always hire just one therapist to see how it feels. But what I notice is that if I hire a couple of people, you know, I've heard of practices that have hired someone who ended up leaving before they even started because it was taking too long. And so if you hire a couple of people, you always you have the likelihood that at least one or more will stay. But then also even if you are hiring within like three or four weeks difference, it, they're still going to stagger in with when it comes to being able to see clients. You know what I'm saying? So like one will get in if one is taking insurance, one will get in a few weeks before the other one, which will give them some grace time to grow their caseload while the other one is still waiting. So I found that hiring a, a couple of people at once tends to make life easier because it's kind of an overwhelming process to go through the hiring and training process with people. And I'm usually pretty tired and want a vacation afterwards. (laughs) And so it's kind of nice to do it all at once. And so with my second location, when I opened the second location, I hired all six people at once. Mm. But at that point, it, it was, you know, I'm opening up another space that has all this, these office spaces in there. You know, why wait, I obviously need to fill it all up. So in that case, I hired all six people. But my practice is A little eclectic. I have the purpose of urban wellness was to be able to meet as much of the community needs as possible. So it was, I think, a little bit easier for me because I could hire child therapists, which is really a need, Mm -hmm. and then couples therapists because that's the second highest need. And then they weren't, you know, taking away from each other, so to speak, with referrals. Even within the child therapists, I had one who's a play therapist. I have one who's a dance and movement therapist. I have someone who is an art therapist, one that does EMDR with kids. So, even in that sense, we have such a variety that I could hire multiple people without having this fear that I have to choose which one to give a client to and that I'm helping one grow faster than the other, if you know what I'm saying.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. I actually hadn't thought of it that way. Like, so it sounds like what you're saying is as you even think especially if you're thinking about hiring multiple clinicians it might be good to look at things like their license or their degree right like or mm-hmm. the niches they work with or the you know even if you do hire in a cluster Like thinking about that immediate hire. I feel like this is the common theme of this episode, like thinking in the present, but always planning for the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like thinking in the present about hiring and then, but also knowing that, you know, at some point, especially they're going to get credentialed or they're all going to be coming in. And you also want to think about sort of referrals and things like that down the line.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Shifting again a little bit, what are some of the like favorite tools that you use when you are communicating within the clinicians within urban wellness?
1: Sure. One of the newer ones that I'm using, which we are all loving, is Slack. One of my therapists had said, you know, we should have a Facebook group where, because right, you know, with 20 of us emails come around. So often. And for me, I'm a very organized person and I like to check things off. And so when an email comes, I just want to reply because then I can delete it. And I don't delete emails unless I know I've replied. And so I'm one of those people that, like, if I have notifications on my phone, I'll just click it so the red one goes away. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And I'm the same with email. So when she had, you know, we get a lot of emails going back and forth about random things, referrals, questions. I'm going to this networking networking event if anyone wants to go. And then, you know, everyone's going, I will, I will, I can't go, sorry. And it's like, you know, 20 messages later over one question. So someone had mentioned to having a Facebook group for the practice because then you can search the threads. People don't have to ask the same question twice because obviously when you delete an email, then, you know, three months later when someone asks a similar question, they might not be able to search through their deleted emails to find it and who wants to save 8 million work emails so I thought that was a great idea, except some of our therapists don't have Facebook. And so that's when I started doing some research. And uh, we started using Slack a few months ago. And we love it because there's these different, I think they call them, I don't know if they call them threads. I forget now. I, but yeah, you can, no, I use right?
0: Slack as well. I forgot the oh, name okay. of it though. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know if it's called thread or not, but almost, you-
0: Yeah, almost like different we, folders, right? Like,
1: yes, yeah. So we have one for clinical, one for billing, one for admin, one for EHR, a general one. And then we actually have a book club for- our practice and one therapist picks the book of the month and then we read it and we meet at the end of the month. And so we have a book club thread in there, which is really fun. So I love it. And it's a nice way to, it has totally reduced how many emails. or we have a referrals one too, but it like has totally reduced how many emails I get and everyone else obviously gets. And it puts it all into these nice little folders and then people can search it and, not ask again.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's wonderful. I just remember the name. I think it's channels.
1: Channels. Yes. I was gonna <laughs> say, I know it's not thread. Uh, channels. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, so. it's so versatile. Like I use Slack for STC as well. And yeah, even like within the practice, or even if you're hiring, like, I don't know, web person to manage rights, so you could have like a website channel and then the website person would only have access to that channel, right? So they wouldn't be able to, for example, see the, the referrals thread or something like that
1: yeah I love it right now I'm using Trello with my VAs so we've just been using that for a while but I haven't even thought of putting that into Slack
0: I've actually I have a hard time understanding the different like I think I get Trello but like I don't know like I think I started on Slack and I've just been using it so you like Slack any other kind of tools that you really like
1: yeah and then I would say with being a group practice, for us, it's virtue and Google Drive, which we have a G Suite. So our Google Drive is, you know, I don't know the right word, but encrypted and all yeah. safe and all of that because it's through G Suite. But Google Drive has all of our... It's really easy for me to share different documents in there, like our letterhead and our intake paperwork. I put a copy of our contracts in there so that clinicians have access to it if they ever want to look at it. People can share their own documents. So everything, every kind of template or document is in there and everyone has access to it. My, We have a Waitlist, or I call it a waitlist, even though it may not always be one. But it's where my intake person and I have access to how many referrals we've gotten in a month, how many of those got scheduled, how many of those, you know, did they? She couldn't get a hold of them, and so they either moved on or we didn't schedule them. I have documents in there for my admin and I to share. I do my, because I pay for sick time in mm. Chicago it's required and I can track my paid sick time and people can see how much sick time they've accrued. So I really love Google Drive for that. And then um Virtue would be the last one, which I know is expensive and there might be some alternatives to that, but it integrates well with G Suite, but Virtue is It's an application that lets you send encrypted emails to clients or to other providers or clinicians that have private healthcare information on it. So we really like that as well.
0: Maureen, I feel like I could ask you questions all day long about this stuff, (laughs) but I really am. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful just the way that you've been able to build your practice and the way that you serve our field. What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you?
1: They could reach me at Maureen at thegrouppracticeexchange.com or they could talk to me in my Facebook group because I'm always in there, which is the Group Practice Exchange group, or on my website. There's a contact page over there as well at thegrouppracticeexchange.com dot com.
0: Awesome. Maureen, thank you again for doing this.
1: Yes, no problem.
0: Have a great rest of your day, okay? You too. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maureen, and especially if you are thinking about being in a group practice or if you are in a group practice and you've just been struggling with uh, how to grow that, I hope that today's podcast conversation was helpful for you. Maureen actually has a couple of different masterminds that I wanted to tune you guys into that are starting every December. Basically, the applications start every December, and she does a year-long mastermind. Two of them currently, as I record this, the first mastermind is for new group private practice owners, and then the other mastermind is for practice owners who have at least three other clinicians who are working for them. You can find all that information about those masterminds over at Maureen's website, which is thegrouppracticeexchange.com. I know Maureen mentioned a number of resources and a number of tools you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one four zero as i uh thought about uh, just my conversation with maureen there was one thing that uh that really stood out to me which is i think whether we are solo practitioners or group practitioners Just the wisdom, I think, of having some sort of a business plan. I think for many of us in our field and in the private practice space, we're we're heart people. And I think our heart in many ways is so beneficial, especially in the therapy room. But sometimes from a business perspective, it can kind of get in our way, right? So we make decisions maybe that are more emotion as opposed to just sort of looking at objective data and those kind of subtle things. So just the wisdom of creating some sort of a plan so that you can, so that all of us can just take a step back from the emotions and sort of the daily emotional grind, I think, of being a business owner and then make sort of decisions with precision. I don't know if I meant to rhyme that, but decisions with precision and uh, and we can, you know, kind of go from there. Have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. Take good care. Bye.